Hello and welcome to Revolutionary Women. My name is Tess Silverman. Women around the world are constantly creating ways to make a difference in their communities, and today's guest is no exception. My guest today is Radhika Gajalapali. Radhika was born in India and came to the United States in 1973. She grew up in Flushing, New York, and later moved to a suburb on Long Island. She has a bachelor's in accounting with a minor in computer science. After working in the IT industry for over 10 years, she left the industry to devote her time and energy with Heart and Hand for the Handicapped, a nonprofit organization that supports handicapped children in the United States and India. With her accounting and computer background, she was able to streamline their accounting and fundraising efforts, first as the Treasury in 2013, before becoming the president of the organization in 2015, and then again in 2020. Hello, Radhika, and welcome to Revolutionary Women. Hi, Tess. Thank you for having me. You are quite welcome. I'd like to start by asking you what your background is and how you went from accounting to IT and then later on into the nonprofit sector. Okay. So I, when I was in school, I decided to do uh, accounting because I was also working full-time and I felt that that was a degree that I could do well uh, part-time. And of course, I did a minor in computers. And, and at the time that I finished my degree, computers were still coming along, but not such a, um, such a, not such a big field at that time. Mm-hmm. And then later on, um, after I was working in accounting, I was working for the city of New York uh, for a while. And after my second son was born, um, I decided to refresh my computer skills, uh, programming skills. And I went back and I did a course in computers. This was around 1996, 97. And then the market for computers was very hot. Uh, So I decided to apply and see if I could go into computers. I interviewed with Canon USA. And uh, the person who interviewed me, I told him that I don't have any experience in computers, but I was an accountant by, by profession. And he said that he wanted to hire me because of my business knowledge, not because of my IT knowledge, which was interesting. interesting. Yeah, which was interesting. He said, programmers, I can get dime a dozen. I need somebody who understands the business in order to design a good system. And Canon USA is all about business. They sell cameras and printers and, you know, medical equipment. So he wanted somebody who understood how things worked. So that's how I got my job in IT. And I was with Canon for almost 13 years, 13 and a half years. Um, And then they were moving out to Melville. And I also was a little burnt out. So I decided to leave Canon. during the time I was at Canon, I was also doing volunteer work on the side. Not as much and not as heavily involved, but I was still involved with Heart and Hand for the Handicap. Once I left Canon, I became, a tre- I became the treasurer for our Heart and Hand for the Handicap. And then I understood how to, because accounting was my background, so they wanted me to be the treasurer. So I did that for two, two and a half years, and um, I helped them 
<clears throat> streamline a lot of things. Again, using my IT knowledge, we decided to uh, send our receipts by email. So I tried to implement that. I tried to gather emails from donors and we used to send them um, receipts by email and in order to cut costs. And like I said, every penny saved would go to the child. And then later on, I became the president of Heart and Hand for the Handicap. At that point, I understood the donation side of it. And then now I was doing the event planning side of it. Again, we try to use technology as much as possible, sending notifications and e-blasts about our, the organization, what we're up to, when was the next event. And we did a lot of different events, walkathons, cultural events, and also we had our annual dinner. So we were able to raise good money. And we have been, it was started in 1971 by five women who wanted to make a difference. And uh, it's almost more than 40 years. And now in 2019, we raised about 250,000. Wow. And yeah, and we sent 200,000 of the 250,000 we sent to these institutions that take care of these handicapped children. So we always hold 50,000 as reserve, 50,000, 50,000 plus as reserve, just in case for expenses. But the bulk of the money goes to the children. And that's what we're trying to do. We're all volunteers. Nobody takes a salary. And we have minimal costs. Our costs are like between 17 to 20 cents per dollar. Oh, so what is your cultural background, if you don't mind my asking? And how did you get involved with Heart for the Handicapped? I'm sorry, Heart and Hand um, for the Handicapped. Right. I was born in India. And uh, I think everybody's aware it's a third world country. Um, children, there's a lot of abuse of children. And yeah, there's the, the poor sectors, especially um, children, and especially handicapped children are very neglected. So I was uh, growing up here and my dad's friend introduced this organization to my husband and myself. And my husband was very involved and I was used to help him because my children were little, so I didn't have too much time on my hands between working and my children's activities. But uh, I used to help. And uh, recently when we went to India, I visited one of these organizations and uh, the plight of the children is uh, very sad. I mean, um, they were telling me that girls, uh, handicapped girls, um, there was one girl who, who didn't speak and she got her period. And you know, everybody, we all, all of all women go through this, right? It's a mm -hmm. natural thing. But for a handicapped child who doesn't speak, imagine, imagine the torture. They cannot tell you what's happening to them. And the, the caretakers are the only ones who have to know when she's going to get her period and make sure she's properly, you know, she, she has the pads on and everything like that. So they were, I mean, that's just an example. You know, it's very hard for children to express, especially handicapped children, um, what we take granted for regular children. It's really uh, amazing that out of that conversation with your father's friend, you were able to get involved in this organization. How did you, I mean, what, what made you decide this was something you wanted to get 
more involved in after you left the IT industry? Uh, yes, uh, you know, I was very much into IT industry and, uh, you know, I was doing projects, I was running projects. Um, so I felt like when I was, I left Canon, I felt I needed to do something more meaningful. I just, I just didn't want to chase after another job, another dollar. And I felt like I need to, to do something um, to give back, you know, and of course, to try to give back to my home country, of course, which I have still have an affinity to. Um, but, you know, my husband, my children were supportive. Um, my husband wasn't crazy about the idea of me quitting my job, <laughs> but uh, we were doing okay. And we, you know, when is enough is enough, you know, like we were, we were good. We were in a good position and he encouraged me to take on the responsibility of becoming president. So it's interesting that I think when you were hired by Canon, you were hired because of your business experience, not because of your, because you didn't have any computer experience. And then now when you started volunteering and getting involved with Heart and Hand, it seems like your experiences with both business and computers was, uh, became really important and became necessary. So can you tell me more about that? Yes. So, you know, like when they, when they wanted and asked me to be treasurer first, they knew that I had a background in accounting. So they were confident that I would be able to keep the books properly, file the tax information and, uh, you know, make sure that everything is tracked and accounted for checks and balances. Right. And uh, that's what with any organization and, I think with a um, nonprofit organization, it's more more important to have those checks and balances because uh, with all the situations that are going on, so we want to make sure that everything is correct and everything is filed properly. Um, but one more thing I just wanted to mention, um, I have a handicapped brother uh, who's mentally handicapped and my husband has a handicapped sister. Um, she had polio when she was young and so she cannot walk or she cannot walk right now so that also played a lot into our us uh, joining this organization because we could understand the family involvement and how much it made a difference to a child when the family is there and these children like i said they don't have a family they don't have anybody to look out for them so we felt like it was our responsibility to help them by helping these institutions, which became their family. With the pandemic, has it been harder to be in communication with the, with, um, the institutions you're involved in? Uh, and what are they doing in terms of their supplies for whatever the, the, these kids need? Right. So this, due to the COVID, it's, it's added a lot of difficulty for the uh, HHA children. Uh, mainly the resources are not there. And just like here, there was a shortage of, uh, of uh, PP, PPE. There also is a similar situation. And, you know, the handicapped children, I think they come last kind of thing. Um, the institutions are struggling because they are not getting their regular donations, which they used to. And taking children to the hospital also is, it's very hard. The medical care is very hard right now there um, because the hospitals, just like here, I think, uh, they're just filled. And uh, 
So many of the institutions are trying to manage with what they have, and they're trying to do, um, trying to bring the doctors to their facilities to help to check the children. Um, but it's very hard to do the isolation if somebody, if a child gets COVID, it's very hard to do isolation because they need support, right? They need help. So it's not, you can't just isolate them. So, and, and, uh, Regards to sanitary conditions also, you know, India is a third world country, so it's very hard there to begin with. So they're trying to get all the supplies, um, but it's been very difficult for the children. How would you usually uh, send supplies? Is it through um, mail, through, is it because of, is it as a result of your donations that then you would fund over you would send over the funds and then they would be able to buy the supplies they need? Yes. Yes. We we only do the monetary help. We really don't do any supplies per se. We send the funds. We wire the funds from here to the institution and they turn, use those funds to whatever they need. And they, like I said, they uh, that's another thing that I started was to start the feedback form which every year they have to send us a feedback form, um, completing a feedback form to tell us what they've done with the funds they've received. And based on that, we go further and we, again, give money. And we ask all our donors who are visiting. I mean, we, we have institutions here also, like St. Mary's Child Center of Bergen County. So we, we tell donors, you know, if you if you were to make a donation today, and I, we would tell you, go and visit these institutions. When you go to India, when you go to New Jersey, when, you, when you're in New York, go and visit these institutions and tell us how they're doing. You know, we, we rely on the feedback of our donors. And we also try to go when we go to India. We try to go and visit. Uh, each of us tries to go to two or three different places and see what they're doing. And we usually don't tell them we're coming. We tell them like an hour before we're going to be there so that we would have a real live view of what's going on. When you would go and surprise the, and surprise them, basically, um, have you been, how has your um, reaction been when you've gone there uh, unexpectedly? Has it been good? Has it been disappointing? Um, how are the, um, how are, these kids being treated? Have you seen what they are, uh, what the caretakers are doing? Yes. So when, when we went last time and uh, we did visit one of the institutions, um, we had to call them like an hour before because we didn't know exactly the address. The addresses are a little vague in India, so we had to figure mm -hmm. out where we were going. So we called them and then the, the, the driver that we had, he spoke to them and they, he figured out where it was, so we went there. Uh, but the place was very clean. Actually, they have their own uh, farm and they teach the kids to farm. So, and wow. then they had their own cows for milk. And they were also making gas using the oh. gober gas. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, where they use the dung from the cows to make gas. So they have, mm -hmm. and uh, they're teaching kids, like they have like the, um, the machinery and everything for like small machinery for their farming. So they teach them to farm. So they kind of, they want to become self-sufficient and uh, they want, 
their children to become self-sufficient also. So all these children, um, we help we help institutions who are help who are taking care of children under the age of 21. We don't help adult adults, handicapped adults. We help handicapped, and the whole and in the process, these institutions are teaching these children um, skills, whether it's um, putting some putting a craft together that they can sell, like a pencil pencil holder, or like a, a bookmark. They teach them how to make those and they sell those for donations, right? Mm -hmm. And they and uh, or the um, the blind kids are learning uh, braille on the computer. They're using the computer keyboard and they're able to communicate. And you know, we we try. We have given funds for them to buy these resources, like the computers, like the farm equipment. So that helps them teach the children, so the children can become self-sufficient. I love that. I love that the funds that you've raised, that you've fundraised for this organization is really giving them life skills. Yes. You know, from farming to technology to, yes. you know, even making the pencil case or um, that you mentioned. Right. That's great for kids who would otherwise be, you know, who would otherwise not be, I guess, would be out there and not be taken care of by anyone because right. they're just, they're handicapped. You know, right. they're, they're far removed from the rest of um, society over there. Yeah. And some of the stories about these children are so sad. There, there's uh, the one institution that I visited. There's a, there's a temple on the hill. There's a, it's a town that has a hill and there's a temple on the hill. It seems parents go there, leave the child at the doorstep of the temple and commit suicide because they cannot take care of the child anymore. That's the dire straits wow. they're in. And I've wow. heard stories of children being left in trash cans because they couldn't take care of a handicapped child. They were literally found in the trash can. And can you, wait, can you go back to the temple on the hill? Yes. Did you say that they leave, they left the child in front of the temple and then committed suicide? Yeah. The parents committed suicide. Basically, they were they were at the end of their rope. They couldn't take care of the child. They didn't have the financial means to take care of themselves or the child. So they left the child in front of the temple door and they the parents themselves committed suicide, the mother and the father. That's one of the stories that I've heard. That's heartbreaking. Yeah, it is. And it, how does, I mean, that child will never know what her his or her parents did, but that is really, at least they were giving their child a chance by leaving this child in front of the temple. Right. And the temple authorities will in turn call this institution and say, hey, we have a child. And there's a letter here. The parents said they're going to commit suicide and they left the child here. Can you come and pick up this child? So many of these children are orphans. You know, they don't, we don't know their parents. We don't know who they are, where they come from. We have no background history, medical or anything. And these institutions take care of these children with no 
you know, with no compulsion or no nothing. They just go and pick up the child and they come and take care of the child. So the people who work at these institutions, are they all volunteers as well? Uh, no, I believe they are paid. So the the one institution that I was talking about where the town, it's called Tirupati, and that's where the temple is. Tirumala is where the temple is. Tirupati is the town on, at the bottom of the hill. And Tirupati, and uh, I met the couple who was in was running the institution, right? Husband and wife. The husband had gotten into a very bad accident, very bad accident that he was at the edge of dying and somehow he lived when he was younger. When I met them, they were in their late late eighties and uh, they passed away since then. But he was telling me the story. He said, I, I was in a very bad accident and I almost like I was at death's doorstep. Somehow I lived. And I realized I needed to do something with my life. I needed to say thank you to God for saving me. And I decided to help handicapped children. Hmm. So then I was thinking at that point, if he's, if he's in his 80s and he's doing this, and you know he realizes he wants to thank God for his life, then I should be doing the same thing. I should be giving back some way or another to this world and saying, thank you, right? Thank you for everything we have. Thank you for our healthy children, right? So I felt I felt so um, humbled by him. That's amazing that this man, like you said, found a way to give back even after he was almost dying and he yeah. made it. He was mm-hmm. able to do it, him and his wife. Right. So when they passed away, how do they hire other people is it through your fundraising as well so now his daughter and his son-in-law who live in london they are going to continue taking care of the institution they have hired a manager to take care of the institution Mm. and the manager in, in turn manages the staff that's there so they are in london still but they're managing it from abroad oh i see so i want to go back to the story of that young girl you were talking about when she, that because she couldn't speak, she's severely handicapped, she couldn't speak. And then she would have her period and then no one would know unless the caretaker would know that it was that she needed to be tended to when she had her period. Right. How many stories do you hear about that? And are girls um, still being discriminated on even in, in a situation like that? Right. So some of the institutions have taken upon, uh, based on the doctor's advice, to do a hysterectomy at an early age for these children. Really? Yes. So that, um, and I, I don't know if I completely agree with this idea, but um, they do a hysterectomy so in order to prevent them from having their period. Because it's such a hardship for these children and they cannot bear the pain or the, you know, and it's, they don't understand what's going on and they're scared. So some of the institutions, I mean, this is with, within consultation with the doctors, um, they've decided to take this approach. I think I'm speechless because what age are we talking about? I mean, obviously of, you know, menstruation age. 
like right. a nine, ten, eleven. I think it's more like they wait until maybe the the child the child is like in their teens. I think maybe okay. 13, 14, 15 at that point. Yeah. yeah, they don't do it that early, but they don't they don't wait too long. Also, yeah. Okay. But that's an approach they're taking. Right, it's for the benefit of the child, so yes. the child doesn't have to suffer. Yes, basically. Now, when these children turn. 21 what happens to them right so most of the institutions they train them right they give them the skills and they try to place Mm -hmm. them in the workforce somewhere perhaps in a factory perhaps in an office and they try to um you know get them into regular society and try to help them get a job and kind of become independent do they keep an eye on them after they've been, after they've aged out? Um, yes. Okay. Yes, they still track them. I think, I believe they keep track of them and they do keep in touch with them. But what happens when, let's say, you know, you were young once, I was young once, you know, you have a boyfriend, let's say they decide to have, you know, to they meet another young person in that facility and they decide they want to have a relationship with that young person is that something that you decide okay that's not going to happen do they how do they prevent that from happening usually they separate the boys and the girls like the the institution that i visited they had a separate facility for boys separate facility for girls and They uh, they don't they don't mingle they mingle but their uh sleeping arrangements are separate you know like the night times they're they're separate. They're in a separate building altogether. Hmm. So I think they don't want them to. Uh, I, as far as I know, I don't believe they encourage relationships. Okay, that makes okay. That, that makes sense. That's my understanding. I am. I, I may be wrong, but it depends on the level of the handicap, right? I mean, if they're blind, they they're cognitively they're okay, right? But if they're mentally handicapped, cognitively, they're not okay. So having a relationship is, may not be a good idea. Hmm. But with the blind people, with the deaf people, you know, it's a different situation. Now, do they provide services for them after they've aged out? Like, you know, for your blind kids, your um, the hard of hearing kids, that once they become adults and they still need help, where would they go? Right, then the government kind of takes over and helps them. Because if they situate them into jobs that they can become functioning adults and they can hold a job, then the government will step in and help them out a little bit with, you know, with the salary and, you know, like adding, giving them a little extra money also for, mm-hmm. because they're disabled, right? Um, but we try to do um these institutions also try to do corrective surgeries so if the blind child can see with an eye transplant that is an option that they will try and if they're cerebral palsy or polio children if early on they're able to do corrective surgery to enable them to walk they'll do that so that's also an option that's we have um some of these institutions have done many surgeries and we give them the funding for the surgery 
And are those doctors from hospitals where they are paid by the institution, by your funding? Or are they, do they volunteer their services? Um, it's a combination of both. We had one organization that was here. It's called I Foundation of America. And the doctor here used to go and run camps in India, and he would do surgeries for free. Um, he has a hospital there as well, and he would do the surgeries for free. All the medical equipment and the supplies that were needed were funded, partly funded by us. So he would use our funding, the doctor would use our funding to get the supplies, you know, get the necessary help or assistance over there. And he, but his time, his, his time and his surgery skills are free. So it's like a collaboration kind of thing. That's really good because then, you know, it's something that he would, he's able to do and wants to do to be able to help out the children. That's yes. great. Yes. Even the cleft lip, cleft lip palate surgeries, we have uh, doctors here, two doctors are here and they go to India and they will do surgeries for free. But again, we fund them for the supplies and for any additional help they need over there, staff they need over there. We fund them for that purpose. Yeah. That's a great way to make sure that, you know, they're, they're really taken care of. So can you tell me how, what your reaction was when you first set foot at the institution that you, um, that you fund? When right. we first walked into India. When we visited the institution, you mean? When we visited mm -hmm. there? Yeah, yes. I was expecting a different uh, setup. Actually, I was expecting like, uh, I, I don't know. I felt like I was expecting somewhat um, reserved welcome and uh, that they wouldn't be happy to see us. And But they were so happy to see us and they were so grateful. Um, and they wanted to show us everything. And then, you know, they showed us everything. I mean, the kitchen, every, every, every aspect of the... Uh, institution they showed us and the kids they were showing you know showing us the skills they knew like how to sweep the floors you know simple daily skills for them to feel happy also that they're doing something right so and you should see like this one girl like she swept the floor and she was so happy she was like trying to show mm -hmm. me that she swept the floor and you know it touched my heart that uh she was she was, she was trying to impress me when I should be the one impressing mm -hmm. her <laughs> but she was trying to impress me and it was so cute you know, she was a teenager, like maybe um, 14, 15 years old. But uh, she swept the floor and she was like pointing to the, you know, how, how well she, how clean it was and everything. And I, I, I was like, oh, wow, she's so cute, you know. <laughs> that must have made you feel good knowing that whatever you're doing here in the States is really benefiting them and they, they're showing it to you. That's great. Right. That's one thing about this organization, right? When you donate a dollar or two dollars, whatever it is, you can go and see where that dollar and two dollars is going, you know, mm. and you can see the actual impact. And that makes such a difference to me. Um, I mean, I know there are big organizations and doing everything, but they're so big. Right. And mm. this one, because we'll we'll give you the names and addresses of these institutions. Go go and visit them. We encourage everybody to go and visit, you know. And we want you guys to see what they're doing. And the children are so happy when you go that they're they all come running like they they, they love visitors, right? 
who visits them? Not many people visit them and they love visitors and they come running happy, you know, they're ready to hug you. And it's very touching. That's beautiful. Are your kids involved at all in this, in, in, uh, when you're fundraising, uh, is your family involved in what you're doing with this institution? Yes. Yes, absolutely. My kids, my kids also donate also themselves. And uh, when we have our annual gala every year, we have an annual dinner usually around this time. Of course, this year we're going to do a virtual uh, event, but uh, we usually do a dinner in New Jersey in a catering hall. And uh, they come with me. I mean, I go like by, if the events, usually our event starts around 430, 530. And we, uh, and I go like by two o'clock to set up the tables. So we publish uh, either a newsletter or a brochure about about the organization. So we leave everything on the table. We keep, leave the pledge cards and pens and we decorate the tables a little bit. So my kids help. They all come. And uh, if I need them to go pick something up at the printer, they'll go and pick it up for me. So my family is very much involved. Everybody, actually, my parents, my brothers, everybody usually helps me. And your parents are how old? My parents are in their 80s, so, but they still come. Yeah. I think that's wonderful. I love that the whole family is involved for this philanthropic, um, you're fulfilling this need, um, being philanthropists and just giving of yourselves, not just fundraising, but really yourselves by going to the institution and, you know, making sure that they're really doing what they're doing which yes. is you know it's it's sometimes it can be jaded for some people to like say oh okay I'm gonna donate but then you don't really know what happens to that once you donate right so and yeah here, it, and like you said here you get to visit you get to see where your money is going yes yes we'd love people to get involved with our organization we'd love for people to go and visit I mean, uh, it, it would make us happy if somebody went and visited and said, hey, we saw this institution and they're doing a great job. Or, oh, hey, we saw this institution and I, I don't think they're doing such a good job. You should double check. You know, we would love that kind of feedback. We would we need to have that kind of feedback. Um, so that would be great, actually. Many of the institutions are brought to us by our donors also. So they tell us, you know, in our town, there is such and such school that, that takes care of blind children. You know, and then we ask them to fill out a grant application, and then based on that, we decide whether to give give send them funds or not. And how many institutions have you been giving to? to we date? right, we give our, uh, between forty to fifty institutions. That's a lot. Yes, but uh, the one good thing, Tess, is that the the dollar here converts to seventy rupees. So we are able to, you know, give $2,000 and it makes a big difference for them. Got it. It's about 140,000 rupees and that's a lot of money in India. <laughs> hmm. So that really helps them. I think it's what you're doing is amazing. And I, I think that more people should get involved. Uh, is, is it harder currently because of the pandemic? And is it harder to find out what the status is right now over there due to the pandemic? Yeah, we are communicating by email. So we are trying to communicate with the institutions by email to try to find out what's going on over there. 
and uh, we we try to yeah uh, we, it's been a little bit difficult actually because nobody's been able to go and see what's going on there so we've based all of our information based on usually on emails only right now mm. well you're just hoping you know that'll change in the next yes. couple of months i hope yes. we hope so too <laughs> i i like the fact that you went from accounting to IT and then nonprofit. Of all of those, which gives you joy? I would have to say what I'm doing right now. I feel a sense of fulfillment. I feel a sense of gratitude. And uh, if I can make a difference in someone's life, that's the best thing for me. I mean, I think that's worth a million bucks. Do you think your children will continue doing what you're doing? I hope so. I hope later on, you know, after they get less busy, you know, that they will devote a little more time, you know, and, uh, you know, they want, they'll have an interest. I, I think they do, but they just don't have the time right now. But hopefully mm. soon they will get more involved. So what are your goals for heart and hand of the handicapped? Yeah, we, we're hoping, I mean, I, I would love to see the organization grow more and I would like to see more young people come forward and, you know, take the reins from us and we'll be there to help them, you know, guide them and such. But uh, I would love to pass on my knowledge to others and uh, just continue to help and see if I can help more children, that would be fantastic. And do you have any personal goals? Personal goals? No, I just still want to do keep doing this fundraising. I want to get more money to the children. That's that's about it right now. I don't I don't have any other. I mean, I I still now and then try to work. I did work last year one year for a one one year project, uh, but I'd still go back to IT once in a while, but not mm -hmm. as much. And I would still like to focus my attention and my energy to this organization. In five years, I hope that I can um, just continue the fundraising and um, maybe teach or something, uh, you know, teach other people, maybe spend more time in India and, you know, teach children or something like that, uh, you know, go go and volunteer and give my time for these handicapped in, in, at the institution, actual institutions and do the actual physical work, maybe. If I have the time, if I can go there. Would it just be you or would you also have your husband come with you or your family, your whole family come with you and do that? I think that's yeah. amazing. I think that's, a, that's commendable work if you can, if you really want to do that. Right. Yeah, I, I think my husband would be interested in doing it too. Uh, my family, I'm not sure. Uh, the kids, you know, they, they would be in the middle of their careers, right? So I I don't think I can ask them, but um, my parents, I'm not sure if they would be able to travel that far at that age. But if I could go, I would love to go and try to spend a little time there, even if it was for a month, and just volunteer my time there. Like be hands-on kind of thing at an institution. I think that's a great idea because you'll be there to really know, you know what is what you need, and then you can feed, you can share that feedback back here right to all your other um to all your other donors right what would you want to say to young people if they wanted to get involved with your organization 
yeah, please join us. We have a website. It's uh, www.hhhonline.org. And uh, please join us. Please contact me. My number is on the website. So call me. And if you want to get involved, we'd love for you to get involved. We're looking for new innovative ideas for fundraising. And also, you know, like what, what else, how we can do things better. We would always welcome that. Oh, I'm hoping that more people will uh, actually get involved, especially young people, because they are the ones who are going to change and hopefully like be more, uh, more present for things like this. Yes. So if there's one thing that you would like to change that you wish I had done years ago, what would that be? Um, I wish I had the, you know, I wish, I wish we were in, uh, uh, I wish I could have started earlier, even giving more time to heart and hand for the handicap. Um, like I said, this is the most fulfilling thing I feel like I've done, you know, and, uh, I, I did volunteer at my kid's school. We did uh, run, um, a parent group also there, my friend and I, so, you know, I, I always like helping people. That's, I think, um, but if I had the resources earlier, if I was able to quit my job earlier, I would have loved to spend more time with this institution. And then what would advice? So what advice would you give your younger self? Yeah, I would say, you know, uh, maybe better time management, <laughs> you know, like, uh, and when I was younger, maybe I, I should have spent more time doing other things. And, uh, you know, and like, I feel like, I could have done more, but I still want to do more. And I, I hope to make it up now. Well, I wish you continued success with fundraising. And I hope that more people do get involved at such a worthwhile cause and help out with Heart and Hand for the Handicapped. Thank you so much for spending time with me. And I look forward to hearing more about your fundraising efforts. And till then... I really, uh, I really appreciate you coming on to the show. Thank Thanks you. Thanks so much for having me, Tess. It was a pleasure speaking to you. And yes, we welcome everybody and anybody. Please join Heart and Hand for the Handicap. We'd love to have everybody. That's our show for today. I've posted more information about Radhika Gajalapali and Heart and Hand for the Handicapped on RevWoman.com. Thank you for listening, and I hope you'll tune in every Thursday for another episode of Revolutionary Women. You can listen to Revolutionary Woman on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast.